The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's nice to be back uh, at IMC. I haven't been here for a while. I was, I guess it's been over a year, maybe a year and a half. Uh, there was a time when I was coming down, uh, I think it was on Thursday evenings, and leading a group for younger-ish practitioners. Uh, it's, the younger-ish demographic is always a little humorous to me in this scene because it's sort of like under 40, considered young adult. Uh, I took a, a sabbatical from teaching and uh, uh, got married and started a family. So it's just interesting to be back in this uh, new incarnation. I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about tonight. I, I About five talks started themselves while I was meditating. Uh, and it was interesting to watch them come and go. There were some good beginnings, some were very dramatic. Uh, others a little more humble. So it'll be interesting to see what talk I actually give now. <laughs> I'm curious to find out, too. I guess, just out of curiosity, is there anybody here who is totally new to um, to meditation, first time kind of thing? It's okay. And have have many of you been practicing for a long time, sat retreats? Show of hands. Okay, I just don't know any of you, so I'm I'm sort of gauging. Uh, Uh, so maybe I'll just share some uh, reflections on this uh, strange and wonderful practice that we're uh, engaged in. It is a strange practice. Would any of you agree with that? <laughs> We sit quietly. It doesn't look like anything's happening. Sometimes we go off for periods of time and sit and walk back and forth. And we're sort of cultivating doing nothing, which is very, it's very unusual. Uh, and it may start to seem normal when you're in a kind of community like this. Everybody else is doing it, so it's just, we can get habituated to anything, you know? Even meditation. Okay, time to meditate, sit down, do my meditation, time to go to work, you know? But it is a very, very unusual thing to do. 
to spend some time just being with what's arising in your present moment experience without trying to get anywhere, without trying to become anything, without uh, manipulating our experience to make it just a little better. Attempting to be open to whatever comes. It's a very unusual thing in our society. Our society is built around the opposite of that. Getting, becoming, achieving, acquiring. Getting a better version of me. moving towards uh, arranging that perfect set of conditions that are gonna really make me happy, that are gonna sort of do the trick. And then, then I'll be okay, and then I can be here. We can even bring this kind of conventional attitude into our meditation practice becomes about getting somewhere, becoming a good meditator, a great meditator. And then it's sort of just like anything else, you know. Once I'm a good meditator, I'll, I'll really can be here. But in a way, our, our practice, at least as I understand it, is about uh, cultivating at least an intention to start now. To actually be here now and to learn how to do that, to be here for this. So sometimes people look at you when you're meditating or your friends or your family members, you know, and they they know you're doing this and they they sort of see it as the opposite of that. You understand it to be, no, I'm actually learning to be present to experience, to face my life as it is, and to learn how to be with what's arising in the body and mind. But often others see it as different. Uh, I remember my grandmother, who was now deceased, I was sort of, I dropped out of my former life and was doing a lot of retreats in my 20s. And she asked me at one point, and she was sort of supportive, but I don't think she really understood 
what was so interesting about it. And I remember one point she asked me, she said, um, she said, Will, how long are you going to be retreating? <laughs> and I, I just, it clicked in that moment. It's like, oh, she saw what I was doing as like turning tail and running away from life. But really, and this again is my opinion, all you're going to get tonight is my opinion about things. So you can take it or leave it, or think about it and reflect on it. But the way I see it, what we're doing is exactly the opposite of retreating. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do this unusual thing, which is to sit down and take a direct look in here. To see what's really going on and to see how our uh, to begin to understand how what's happening in here shapes the experience of this our experience of this. I was uh, reading an article in the New Yorker a few months ago, and uh, there was an interview with this musician, Gil Scott Heron, a uh, really interesting guy. Uh, and he had a few really great, very insightful lines in this article, interview, and um, one of them was, he said, I'm the person I see the least of in my life. I love that, because it's it's just such a great articulation of the way many of us live a lot, sort of, yeah, we're just out there seeing everyone else, experiencing all that. And it's very unusual to take this, to turn it around and start to see ourselves. The first instruction in meditation I ever got from my first teacher was, uh, take a look at how you actually live. And the accent was on actually. Not how you think you live, how you want to live. How are you actually living? What's actually happening here? Incidentally, that was his first instruction from his first teacher, who was Krishnamurti. So it's a, that's a, it's coming to you from Krishnamurti. How many of you use the breath in some way in your uh, practice? Okay. Uh, how, how many of you don't and use some other kind of primary object? Great. So there are many. And so any, if you use some other 
If you don't use the breath and use something else like the body or sound or you know, many sort of other, just everything I say about the breath, just translate it into that. Okay? Because it, it still it applies. So, I, you know, lately I've just been kind of marveling again at the simplicity of the... Uh, just mindfulness with breathing. And... how much we can learn just from that. It's sort of the, the most basic meditation instruction, right? The first thing a lot of people are told to do is sit down and feel your breathing. And as with any relationship, At first, the breath feels like a stranger. Who are you? And it takes a little while to get to know this entity, to become friendly with it, familiar with it. But we do, you know. And how do we do that? By spending time with it. by coming back again and again and choosing to be here with just this so simple, just breathing in, breathing out. You know, and often, you know, people report uh, early on and even well into the practice that it's actually hard to be with the breathing without manipulating it, even subtly. Because we're so used to Anytime we put our attention on something, our, our uh, subtle or obvious intention is to affect it in some way. That's, we practice that all the time. We're like expert manipulators. Yeah. So we're, we're unlearning manipulation in relation to something so simple, just the breathing. Yeah. Or it could be sound, if you use a different object. Yeah. So we're, we sort of, and this takes a lot of practice because it's so new, is learning to let the breath breathe. Just to let it breathe itself, to be present to it, intimate with it, but without... Uh, getting in the way. And embedded, this is in a way one of the miracles of this practice, embedded in that is the essence of the whole practice. And it applies to everything. So we develop some steadiness with the breathing, a kind of a friendly, non-manipulative presence. And we begin to attend to sensations in our body in a similar way. Just letting 
painful sensations be present. Breathing with them, noticing them move and change the way the breath does, without fighting them. We do the same with moods and emotions. We let the breath breathe. We let pain, pain. We let moods, mood. And we let emotions emote, express themselves. <laughs> and similarly with the mind, we learn not to be uh, fighting with our mind. That's a novel concept. as we develop some steadiness with uh, the breathing, with the body, as the attention goes from being kind of 98% caught up in just trains of thinking, and we begin to land more here with a steadiness, not only can we observe what and be with what is arising in the body, moods, emotions, sensations, but even the mind itself, Thoughts, images, memories, projections into the future. And we learn to be with them without uh, struggle and without manipulation. Uh, this does take some steadiness. Yeah. This is the, sometimes the practice is described as shamatha vipassana. Yeah. If, if somebody gives you the instruction, just sit down and be with whatever's on your first day of practice. Just sit down and be with whatever's arising. Thanks a lot. Why didn't I think of that? Okay, I'll just do it. No, you see it's uh, impossible. It's like, <laughs> So there's a gradual cultivation of uh, just coming back to something that's present, maybe the breathing in the beginning. Coming back again and again out of virtual reality into here, just for a moment. And then what do we discover over time as we do that again and again, just like anything that we cultivate, those moments begin to connect. And then our, our awareness in the present becomes, rather than these sort of little moments where we wake up and, oh, wow, I'm here, and then, oh, I'm here, and then, oh, I'm here, uh, we start to connect so that it's a sort of a stream of presentness uh, it's only when there's some steadiness that we can begin to uh, see what's happening even. Uh, if, there's, if there isn't a, any kind of continuity of awareness, we actually can't see what's happening in our mind and body. And that's why there's so little insight 
And that's why we keep doing the same things over and over again. Because we actually don't see cause and effect unfolding in our own experience. There's not enough continuity. So maybe the theme, I'm talking about these things, what's the theme here? Uh, Maybe the theme is peace. Making peace uh, with yourself. Uh, Then there may be relevance for also how we're out there in the world. But how do we even make peace with uh, the contents of our own mind and body? Would anybody disagree? We tend to not be at peace with the contents of our mind and body. How do we know this? Because we're suffering a lot of the time. There's dukkha, stress, restlessness, fear, inhibition, you know? and inner conflict. Mm -hmm. Dukkha. This is something doesn't feel quite right. Otherwise we just, we'd be at peace. Sometimes we don't think about that part. What would it be like even to just be at peace in this moment? Have there be no struggle uh, in here? Whatever's arising in the mind and body is fine. It's sort of, it's almost like an alien concept that's hard to even imagine. But we can taste that just with a breath. When the breath is breathing and there's no attempt to get anywhere else to make it a little better, there's no attempt to get rid of that little tightness in the side of it. There's peace. It may not fit your idea of peace, you know, like the cloud, there's going to be thunder, like peace is here. No, but there's, it's very subtle even. You might not even notice it. I guess I'm speaking about it to sort of invite a noticing. Similarly, as we develop some steadiness and we're with all the sensations that arise in our body, pleasant sensations, unpleasant sensations, uh, neither pleasant nor unpleasant sensations, we sort of learning to be in relationship to this aspect of our own experience, just like the breathing. And at first, it's very unfamiliar. We spend our whole lives moving away from unpleasant sensations running, retreating. Even sort of very minorly, is that a word, minorly? Minor, Minor, thank you. Even minor unpleasant sensations. It's like, and you can just notice this, you get in the car, you start driving, and you turn on the radio. Why? 
did you turn it on? Sometimes it's interesting to know. Sometimes you just want to know what's on the radio. Sometimes there's just a little bit of restlessness or a little discomfort, dis-ease, and then we just move away from it. One of the powerful things about practice is that we can actually become comfortable with uncomfortable sensations. They can be really okay. They don't stop being uncomfortable. But we've developed a relationship to them. And just like any relationship, that takes time and it takes sustained contact. You don't get to be really good friends with anybody by seeing them once a year or spending five minutes with them every couple months. No, you, you spend time with somebody, you get to know them. And then you know what's what. So this is the, the kind of unusual invitation, one of them, of the Dharma practices, to actually spend time with this aspect of our own experience. Wow. What would it be like not to be run around by feelings in the body? I mean, that's why we act all the time. You say something to me about what a terrible person I am, a sensation, a feeling arises in my body, and then I yell at you. All right. And why did I do that? Because there was a feeling in me, and I just couldn't be with it. Or I you know, went and had a drink. Why? Because there's a feeling, a sensation in me that I couldn't be with, I couldn't bear it. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, whatever it is that one does. And there's a million variations. Yeah. So, wow, what a valuable territory to explore. Because in a human life, there's no avoiding unpleasant feeling. We, it's a human realm, so we get a mix, pleasant and unpleasant. I mean, just, just the growing old, aging death part that the Buddha talked about so frequently, that's where we're all headed. The, even if we're five years old. So, you know, at some point, this is knocks on our door. And then does life end at that point when there's pain? You know, when, there's, when the body doesn't work? And what the Buddha is positing is, is that it doesn't have to. That there's a way of being in relationship to our own experience uh, whatever that experience is, which is, I'm going like this, I don't know what the word is. Okay. Uh, so this, this intimacy part is really um, important. Yeah? And that, what does that take? It takes interest. It takes sensing that there's value in it. And it takes some time 
and care. Similarly with emotions, yeah? Emotions are a huge part of our experience. One that we're often uncomfortable with in various ways. And many of our emotions are like strangers, even if they visited again and again. Somehow, we never got to know them. Like... uh, trying to think of an analogy. You know, someone comes and they're, maybe you have somebody like this in your family or in your circle, and you just kind of have an intuitive, like a discomfort with them, and so you just never engage with them, and that's fine. But if they live inside of you, it's worth getting to know them. Because I think there's a great line in, in Moby Dick where uh, I think Ishmael is saying, uh, it's good to be on friendly terms with uh, the inmates of the place one resides in. That's a paraphrase. But it is. So there are some inmates in the place we reside that, you know, let's be honest, we'd rather not deal with. Uh, Or we just have never been kind of... Told that it's possible to deal with them. So one big one, at least in my life, fear. You know, fear. Nobody likes that feeling. I remember early on, in, in when I was first practicing, I was really I had sort of had this glimpse, and many of you probably can relate to this. That wow, my reality is being shaped by in here. This is what's determining my sense of who I am, and my sense of what the world is. It's happening here. And it was tremendously empowering. There's a sense like, wow, I can actually look and see what's happening and how this is being shaped, and a real sense of possibility. So I was very motivated. And, and I um, was just looking for ways to explore it. And I, uh, I was you know, staying in a place where there's some woods nearby, this was in Massachusetts. And, uh, and I hadn't really come to terms with this being true. This is the actual, how you actually live part. But I was afraid of the dark. Not inside, but for example, to walk into the woods at night when it's dark. I was scared, so I'd avoid that. I'd like taking walks, but I'd walk on the street at night. So I was like, oh, what's that? So I started to walk into the woods at night. And it was so interesting. I'd I'd walk, you know, dark. And whenever I'd get, feel that feeling, you know, that intense fear feeling, I would stop. And I would stand and close my eyes and just watch what my mind was doing. every horror movie I'd ever seen <laughs> was there. Somebody standing right behind, right behind me. And I, you could feel, I can even just, you feel the chills just thinking about it. You know? And just, and I just stand there, feel that feeling, let that fear be there, and just watch this image. Yeah? I, I knew at this point, this is my mind. I just 
And I would stand there until I was comfortable enough with this image right behind me. Or it went away or turned into something else. Sometimes I stood there for a while. And then I keep walking. Walking, a few more steps, you know. Then you hear a creak, cronk. <laughs> this is the wind in the trees and, and that chill goes up your back and then some other image. Stop, breathe, feel the feeling. Yeah. And I did this a lot. Uh, it was so interesting. It didn't take long before uh, I could sometimes walk in these parts of the woods where I, I couldn't see anything. And the darkness was like this rich, peaceful, just like walking into emptiness. Yeah. At times. Yeah. Then the fear would arise again in some form. But the powerful thing about just staying with it like that is I really got to know my mind. And I really stopped believing that there actually was somebody standing by me. <laughs> you know? And I just saw my mind churn out all kinds of variations of this content. Every, like, so many possibilities. Yeah? Uh, and it was a really big shift. Yeah? So there's something so... This is the opposite of retreating. Yeah? I guess that's another theme for the day. Yeah? It's just very powerful to face our own mind. You know, I did this also later with swimming. Yeah, because, uh, you know... In Massachusetts, in the summer, sometimes you go to the ocean uh, and swim out a little ways, and then all of, you know, those Jaws movies would come. <laughs> you know, it's like all that deep water underneath, and your mind fills the deep water with content. Where does that content come from? It comes from you. But unless we really take a look, we actually think, no, maybe there isn't. You know, we don't realize how much is here. It's happening here. Yeah. You can do this with any. You can do this with anger. You can do this with sadness. You know, If I feel this sadness, I will collapse in a puddle and I will never be able to stand up again. It's a fear, a belief. So in a way we begin to say, okay, what would it be like to begin to feel sadness? Maybe not all at once, maybe a little bit. And just let it be here, my own sadness about whatever. It doesn't have to be about anything. And over time we build up a capacity to actually tolerate this being totally sad. Yeah? It's a state. And then what we start to see is that when we actually allow these experiences, they are not permanent. Have you heard that one before? Yeah. But we often don't get to, we don't spend enough time with any of these experiences to see that they move on their own. It's like the fear. I stand there and I'm not going to be afraid for it. That image doesn't last forever. The fear feeling just can't sustain itself for that long. So this is the kind of the invitation to really spend time, you know. So often we think in meditation, oh, if only I wasn't feeling this, then I could really meditate, I'd be peaceful. Oh, if only I wasn't so afraid, oh, if only I wasn't so, so sad, oh, if only I wasn't so angry, if only I wasn't so restless, 
But actually the invitation of practice is, um, wow, time flies when you're talking about the Dharma. Okay. So uh, the invitation is just to uh, come close. Same with your own thinking. Yeah. And this takes a little more steadiness of mind to actually be with your thinking. What you're thinking creates your whole story of who you are and about how the world is. And there's a million stories. And the only power they have is that we believe them. And we really do. A lot of them. How do we know we believe them? Because they affect us. When you have a thought in your mind that you don't believe, it doesn't affect your body posture. You know, it doesn't. When you believe it, you take birth as that and you have a different body. It's like a different incarnation. I am worthless. I have no value. That's a thought. Yeah? But maybe a very deeply conditioned thought that's been there a whole life and we've believed it for a lot of maybe seemingly good reasons. Yeah. Often from a very early age, those kinds of beliefs develop. I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. These are variations on a theme that many, if not almost all people have some variant. Uh, I'm broken. And often they were, they're kind of the thoughts of a child who's trying to make sense of the reality that he's living in. But it's a pretty good, you know, it's a good attempt at making sense of things. Uh, but the way we know we believe it is because it really affects us. When we see a thought and we don't believe it, it's just like, doop, it's as if somebody said, you know. So this is the invitation to actually spend time with our mind and to watch it again and again. When you watch a story arise again and again, it starts to lose its grip on you. You start to see it's like a roller coaster. You get on it and you always go to the, you always end up right back where you started. It's the same trip. You know, often we think it's a different trip, but it's actually the same trip every time. And so just, we just stop losing our belief in it. Or I use this example a lot. If you went to the movies and you see a really scary movie, um, the first time you go to the movie, it's terrifying. Or you're really caught up in it. But if you see that movie a hundred times and you really watch it each time, you just, it just loses its grip. Right? Because you know this happens next, and then that happens, and then you just by the, you stop watching it after fifty times. It may still be playing. Oh, there's the movie playing. You can see the marquee, but you're not even going to that movie because there's other stuff happening. Yeah. So, what's the moral of the story? Wrap it up in a minute. Spend time with yourselves. This is good stuff to do. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and um, and take yourselves and your own experience seriously, you know? Not morbidly seriously, but like, oh, it's actually worthwhile 
to spend time here. You may have the feeling there's nothing here of value. Why would I spend time here? But the invitation is there's more here than we could even imagine. And the content and the story is an infinitesimally small part of it. So, um, so let's, let's keep practicing. I wish we had time for questions, but we don't. Thank you all for listening and for your practice.